This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. From BBC Science Focus magazine, this is Instant Genius. Bite-sized masterclass podcast four. I'm Alex Hughes, staff writer at BBC Science Focus magazine. This week, I'm joined by Professor Jack Stilgold. He's an expert in science and technology policy. He explains the future of self-driving cars, the laws and ethical guidelines needed, and how we are likely to interact with them when they do hit the road. So this feels like a very obvious question to start with, but could you explain what a self-driving or autonomous vehicle actually is and how they work? So, well, I can I can have a go. I mean, the 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 sort of the the simple answer is that a self-driving vehicle is a vehicle where the human is no longer doing the driving or taking responsibility for the driving, um, and that that is being done by a computer. Um, in terms of how they work, I mean, different companies have have different approaches. But I guess at the sort of at the most superficial level, they are robots that um, move through the world by sensing what's around them, by working out what those what the things around them are going to do next. They sort of often do uh, prediction of the movement of, of of cars and other and other road users. And then they plan safe paths through that uh, through that world, and then and then act on it. So, the sort of easy explanation is that you have a computer doing what a human does, but rather than eyes and ears, you're replacing them with uh, with cameras and, and other sensors. And rather than a human brain, you've got uh, an artificial intelligence. But the more you look into it the more complicated it becomes and the more you realize that actually computers and humans 
don't and won't ever drive in exactly the same way. So in the same way that a human that's been driving for quite a long time and they learn uh, the ways of the road, I assume that's a similar sort of way that a self-driving car would work. That it builds on its knowledge. Yes, with the with the added advantage, the 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 self-driving car developers would tell you the added advantage that when one of their cars learns something, they can all learn it, right? So rather than having one human being learn things either by being taught them or learning them from experience, you can have whole fleets of cars learning together, which might go some way towards explaining why we've seen pretty rapid progress in the development of artificial intelligence for uh, driving cars over the last five, 10 years or so. So what is the the need for self-driving cars? Is this something that could drastically improve our society or is this maybe more on the side of a gimmick? So if you talk to the people that are developing them, and I'm a social scientist that that does that for a living. I've been speaking to a lot of the people developing the the technology who are excited about it, as well as the people who have uh, concerns about it. They would say the um, the sort of major justification is one of safety, which is that even though driving is getting safer over time as as technology improves and roads improve and you know we in, we enforce rules better. Um, Driving is still one of the riskiest things that we do. Being on the road is one of the riskiest uh, things that, that that most of us do. And if you could um, take away some of the human fallibility and replace it with a reliable computer, then you should have massive improvements in 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 road safety. So at the moment, about pretty much every year, a million people die around the world um, as a result of uh, of crashes on the road, um, which is, you know, at one level, just a, a public health disaster. And so, the AI enthusiasts would say, "Well, you know, we could we could solve that problem. We could we could take away human error and replace it um, with uh, a computer." Um, in reality, it's it's not quite. That that's straightforward because a lot of those deaths are happening in places where we might not see self-driving vehicles for a very long time, maybe even even ever. But that's the that's the sort of strong justification. Um, the, the people developing the tech might also say that there are benefits that would come from uh, efficiency, right? That that maybe if you have computers driving uh, driving vehicles, that you would be they would be able to come into city centres. And then not have to park in those city centres and then go back out again, which might create nicer spaces uh, for us to live in. But those those sorts of benefits are a bit more speculative. And you mentioned it a little bit there, but is it likely that uh, this automation will change our view of how cars can be used? I mean, for example, will will we become a society of backseat drivers? Maybe, and you know, you don't people don't own cars as much as they do now. Um, if 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 a transition to self-driving vehicles is anything like as uh, as profound as um, as as the you know the the, the technological optimists would uh, would say, then yes, as with every other uh, transition in in how we get around, it will lead to um, radical changes in our in our lives in our lifestyles. Maybe in our livelihoods as well. You know, who who uh, makes a living 
from driving and and all the rest of it. Now, in terms of predicting what direction that's going to go in, that's pretty difficult because it depends on the assumptions that you make in in, in your model. You can imagine a future in which um, you know, we have radical cuts in carbon dioxide emissions, for example, as as we have a, a transition to electric self-driving uh, vehicles. But equally, you know, if you have self-driving um, internal combustion engine uh, vehicles and people are just getting into them, falling asleep, then maybe that means that people move further out of city centres. Maybe they you know, don't mind a two-hour commute to to work. So you might see a sort of sprawling of, of, of cities eventually. Um, and one thing that we know about past technologies for, for getting around is that they start off, you know, changing just how we interact on the road, but also, you know, within decades can reshape entire landscapes so that, you know, cities where we live... Um, the the, uh, the the our surroundings are are affected by our mobility choices. The um the UK government has now ex- stated expectations to see self driving cars without uh, needing drivers by twenty twenty five. Do you think that's a realistic time frame? We need to ask. Well, sort of in in what conditions, on what sorts of roads, for which people are they likely to be? Um, just constrained to motorways, for example, which are already a really neat and tidy environment where lots of road users are banned from from uh, being there. Um, they're already quite a safe environment, so we might see, you know, a self-driving vehicle being able to cope with a motorway scenario in quite a sort of predictable um, uh, way by by 2025. We might see those vehicles owned by you know, people that that buy high end high end vehicles for whom this is just another um, driving driving option. That's rather a long way from the, you know, we'll all have um, brand new ways to to get about in our in our computer driven cars, going wherever uh, wherever we want to go. So, you know, there are there are some places in the world where you can already get in a vehicle that doesn't have a driver which is an extraordinary thing. Um, but there are also reasons why that technology um, is not just immediately available to everybody, right? They, they tend to be stuck in particular, in particular places. And in a similar uh, sort of viewpoint, would there need to be a change in the laws of the road for um, this expectation? Obviously, you're saying that these cars will only be appearing in a very small number in in certain areas but do we need to readjust how we view the legality of the roads yes i mean absolutely in a in a in a in a few ways and this is exactly you know what government has has been doing the last couple of years um working with the legal profession and thinking through questions of engineering and 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 ethics um the first and i guess the, the the, the most important task legally is to work out questions of liability and responsibility. So being really clear on who is in control of a vehicle so that if and when things happen, um, we know whether a driver is liable or a, um, a, a company operating or manufacturing a self-driving vehicle is is, is liable. And, and for the, you know, the history of 
the motor car, we have located liability with the driver. And there's a there's a big change that happens if you allow a driver to, for example, check their check their emails on their phone, or even maybe in a in a few years' time, you know, to go to sleep behind the wheel. Um, in order for that to be um, a legal thing to do, and in order for people to be able to trust it, which is just important, um, then you need to have laws that that hold uh, companies uh, companies liable. Um, but there's also a, a, a more subtle thing, right? Which is, so it's not quite laws; it's the more general category of the rules of the road, which we are taught at school, right? The the Green Cross Code, or 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 however you however you phrase it, right? The question of who has precedence in what sorts of environments, who should take responsibility for uh, guaranteeing the safety of of, of vulnerable road users. Um, in a world where self-driving vehicles become common, those sorts of things will need will need real thought because, you know, a self-driving vehicle will not just interact with other road users in the same way as a as a as a human driver would, and so you need to reconfigure the rules of the road. Um, and as we've seen with re- recent changes to the highway code in 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 Britain, those things are not without controversy. You change the rules of the road, and suddenly you're prioritizing one group of people over another group of people. And if we were to change these rules, I mean, as we've said before, the uh, self-driving cars are learning, and uh, as a group, and they're uh, better understanding the roads. Is there any concern that these self-driving cars would learn the maybe slightly more chaotic driving of uh, people? And then try and have to work around that and try and understand the human error side of things. Yeah. So if if you're developing a self-driving car and you get stuck in this model where you're just trying to mimic a human being, then you risk developing a technology that, yes, can learn to drive and do something, do something magical, but maybe doesn't realize the benefits of having computer-driven uh, mobility. Um, so, for example, you might learn all of the transgressions that we normally you know, live with um, as we as we drive around. And this has already become an issue um, with Tesla in the US, whose limited self-driving uh, technology um, had a mode that meant that you could um, that you didn't have to stop at a at a stop sign in the U.S. and a lot of their junctions are controlled by by uh, stop signs rather than rather than traffic lights or or roundabouts. Um, and Tesla's uh, response was, "Oh well, everybody does it, right? Everybody just rolls gently through a through a stop sign rather than rather than stops automatically." But understandably, there was some outrage from uh, from others that 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 company was programming in intentional rule breaking now we actually as as part of our uh, driverless futures project um, at university college london we did a survey of members of the public asking uh, people if they thought that self-driving vehicles should be able to uh, break the rules of the road in certain in certain uh, circumstances and there was a clear uh, majority that suggested that no self-driving vehicles had to uh, behave themselves, even though people recognise that human drivers don't always uh, don't always behave themselves. Um, in, in, to give that sort of sense of 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 predictability, but it's one of those those things where 
the rules are sort of already, or, or some companies are attempting to rewrite the rules of the road um, in order to, to, to suit them. And unless we uh, think about them and, 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 and debate them, then we risk sort of, uh, slipping into a new set of rules of the road that it turns out uh, suit the uh, self-driving car developers and maybe aren't so good for the rest of us. We mentioned it a little bit there, but are there certain standards that would need to be met for self-driving cars? I mean, for example, a, there was a survey recently that found that a lot of people would want to see self-driving cars labelled, you know, uh, so people could tell uh, that a certain car was didn't have a driver in it. Is there standards like that that we would need to meet to make people feel more comfortable on the road? So I would say certainly yes. And and the labelling question was one of the, the questions that we put in in our survey, which was something that, that we thought was just particularly interesting because... You know, in some cases, um, you can see a self-driving vehicle and think, well, that thing looks new and it's weird, and therefore I know that it's that it's something different and I might choose to change my behavior around those things. But in some cases, we might be completely unaware that a car is is driving itself. And the question is, you know, should should we know? And what might our rights as other road users be to 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 know that a, a car is being driven by a, a computer? Um, rather than a human and, and and does it does it matter um it's one of those examples of an area where there there aren't actually any standards at the moment so c- most companies are just doing their own thing and some are behaving more responsibly uh, than others um but everybody knows that there will that standards will have to emerge and there may even be you know, competition between different standards and different countries may take different uh, different approaches. There's a lot of activity going on within the industry about how to you know, standardise the behaviour of self-driving vehicles and the rules that control what they can and can't do and and how they do and don't uh, do and don't look. Um, I would like, as a social scientist, that process to be to be a more open one, so that we have a democratic discussion about what those uh, what those rules should be, rather than the industry just writing its own rules and and marking its own homework. You mentioned it a little bit there about uh, the differences in different countries, but do you think is the UK in a similar pace to other countries in terms for adoption of autonomous cars, or are we a little bit ahead, a little bit behind? So British policymakers would say, you know, this is an area where Britain can lead. I think given, uh, you know, we lost our our manufacturing capacity for for motor cars um, a few decades ago, and we have not been quite so bullish as certainly some places in the US and increasingly China, actually, which is seeing the the rapid acceleration deployment of of these vehicles um, in cities. We definitely don't see as much activity happening in in Britain. And where activity does happen, it tends to be of a different sort, which is actually a much closer collaboration between self-driving vehicle developers and public transport, right? So we're likely to see more of those sorts of those sorts of experiments. But where I think Britain can play a really important role, which historically it has done in with new technologies, is in this process of of, of standard setting. Is, is is helping to write the rules that uh, shape the responsible development of the of, of the technology. And I think um, I think Britain, you know, 
does need to play an important role, even if it's not our car companies or our tech startups who are the ones that are leading the way. Not to take this in a, a very morbid direction, but what happens if a self-driving car was to hit someone or crash into another car? I mean, who is the who is at fault in that situation? Or is that one of the many things that is still up in the air? Two things. I mean, we already have some experience of, of, of people um, being killed in technologies that were driving themselves or where the users thought the technologies were, were, were driving themselves. So we have some, some examples. Um, and those rules do still need to be written, which is you know, what the British government regards as a, as a priority, is clarifying exactly those, those, those questions of, of, of liability. The most telling example that we've seen so far was in was in 2018 when a when a prototype Uber self-driving Volvo um, ran into and instantly killed a woman called Elaine Hertzberg in in Arizona. Um, Uber were testing their technologies on the streets of um, Tempe, which is part of the sort of Phoenix area, wide open streets, very driver friendly, not the sort of place that you want to be um, a pedestrian. Um, and what that case revealed, the finger pointing, the the blame game that happened after it, suggests something quite well. It's quite it is quite unpleasant about about how the how these discussions might play out if we if we're not careful. Which is you know initially the pedestrian got blamed, then. Uh, people wondered whether it was the manufacturer of the car. People wondered whether it was Uber's fault. Um, the eventual person that seems to have, have, have shouldered most of the blame was the so-called safety driver, the person behind the wheel of the self-driving vehicle who was supposed to be taking responsibility and what was go- and watching what was uh, what was going on. Um, that's how a lot of self-driving vehicle companies have been testing their their technologies, right? By locating responsibility um, on the shoulders of this of this uh, safety driver. But there's, you know, the 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 question that that raises is is how we train the safety drivers, what we expect of them, whether we think that their job is an an easy one or a or a, a hard one, um, and whether we learn from the history of the use of things like autopilots in in aeroplanes that tell us that if you put a human um, on the loop, as they as they call it, um, that that human can quickly become very very complacent. So even if they know that the that the technological system does not work perfectly, they will often behave as though it as though it does because. You know, an AI works absolutely fine right up until the moment that it doesn't. The other crucial thing about the the, the what happens um, after after a crash is knowing and learning from that. And there are some real concerns there about um, how we know what an artificial intelligence is doing and why. So it's a question of transparency and explainability, the, the computer scientists uh, would call it. And what we expect in terms of the companies operating these vehicles, sharing their data with regulators, crash investigators, and other companies so that the process of learning can be a collective one and that the whole system can get safer over time rather than 
you know companies hoarding their data claiming that it's a um claiming that it's a, a a trade secret which might mean that we see a lot of unnecessary deaths well we've spoken a lot about the legal side of things and the ethical side of things but another topic that i think is quite interesting is about self-driving cars and their improvement within cities do you think it's the I guess the best way to improve uh, transport within a cityscape, or is there an argument that improvements in public transport are a better route to go down? Uh, the one thing I would really caution against is saying that self-driving cars will do this for cities, right? Either one good thing or or one bad thing. I think you know the technology is sufficiently immature that it could be shaped in some different ways. It could be made to be really good for cities it could be it could be if 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 it's allowed to develop thoughtlessly it could be really bad for cities so for example if you're a city like london where i live your concern if you're a transport planner is trying to get cars out of the city center because congestion in the city center is a, is an enormous problem so if you think if that's your priority and you're worried about you know, single occupancy vehicles, people driving into London and it's just them in the car, then the only thing that's worse than that is a zero occupancy vehicle, right? The idea of an empty car using up road space, shuttling around the middle of London is not something that, that you want. So a city has to think about self-driving vehicles, um, I would argue, in terms of they have to start with what they need from from their uh, transport system, um, so whether that's prioritizing, you know, decarbonization or prioritizing efficiency, getting people onto shared transport to reduce congestion, um, and that depends on you know the shape of your of your road network and what your other available options are. Um, so, if you're London, for example, you might have particular holes in your transport network, particular transport deserts where you, you know you know that residents struggle to commute for example you might think well yeah maybe a self-driving vehicle system is going to really work for us in that uh, well-defined um, environment but that's a very different thing from just saying great let's just open up our streets to self-driving vehicles and 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 hope for the best because without careful thought that experiment could end really badly i don't want to um make you have to predict something else but uh Let's say skip on to 2025 or even later. Do you think the roads are going to actually look any different, or is this very much going to be an incredibly slow implication? It will take years and years for it to uh, be noticeable. So I'm cautious about predicting that things are going to be very, very different because. You know, as I said earlier, it depends on where. So for some people, if you're in San Francisco or Phoenix at the moment, you can't deny how extraordinary it is being able to get in a car without a driver. Now, that's genuinely new, and we've seen the scaling up of that technology in those situations pretty quickly, and that's that's pretty in, in, impressive. Um it may well be, for example, that the insurance industry gets involved and says, actually, this technology is so much safer that we are going to make it cheaper 
for you to use a self-driving vehicle than to drive your own vehicle and the insurance premiums on on human driving go up and and maybe change happens really quickly as change happened really quickly you know in the in the early part of the 20th century with the arrival of 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 the motor car um but the arrival of the motor car also required cities and town planners to change their rules to get pedestrians out of the way and and that wasn't um that wasn't without without uh, controversy uh, either so it depends um we might see a slow rollout of the technology in which the beneficiaries of the technology actually are rather small so there might be people in rich cities who already have access to quite a lot of ways of getting around anyway there might be rich consumers of cars for whom this is just another another gimmick um so it it really it really depends my worry would be if the technology is developed in that sort of thoughtless way in which it it either you know follow it basically follows the money then other people might look at the technology and say well this isn't doing anything for me and therefore you know i'm i'm not sure i want these things on my my road especially if they are you know running running over the old person or if they are clogging up the streets then the question of who really benefits from self-driving vehicles will be a really important part of the of of the social contract and then it might be that they they become another novelty that's sort of consigned to the to the dustbin of history now i think actually we'll see the the development of self-driving technology in some in some boring but profound ways so here in London, we already have driverless tube trains. We already have driverless um, light rail, the Docklands Light Railway. Um, and we might see um, some improvements to that sort of technology that actually, you know, it, it delivers things for people as part of a of a public transport system. But it's rather different from the um, extraordinary novelty of seeing a computer do the driving on an open road in an uncertain, unpredictable environment. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was Jack Stilgo examining the future of self-driving cars and upcoming laws and regulations announced by the UK government. The Instant Genius podcast is brought to you by the team behind BBC Science Focus magazine, which you can find on sale now in supermarkets and newsagents, as well as on your preferred app store. Alternatively, you can come and find us online, sciencefocus.com. Thank <laughs> you.